check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome back to the Front Nine Podcast. Derek with you and Nate and Bob are along as well. And we're excited to talk uh, golf, uh, team golf, following the Zurich Classic in New Orleans from this past weekend, as long uh, or as well as the Valspar Championship, which I know all of us are interested in watching because we do have a really cool trip planned to Innisbrook coming up here in the summer. So we're super excited to to watch the golf this week and uh, and maybe even learn a little bit more about the golf course before we go play it ourselves. So uh, pretty excited uh, for this upcoming weekend, but we have a lot to cover in this podcast. So uh, one of the things that we do each week on our pod is we do this segment called On the Tee. We kick off our uh, podcast with a segment each week where we all talk about a story uh, that comes out of the world of golf that we're interested in or that we've seen or that uh, really caught our attention and we uh, we bring some light to it. And so tonight, um, as uh, as I kick off this segment, I want to I want to talk uh, a little bit about an elevator. And some of you may have heard about this or you maybe have seen this uh, trending on social media or wherever it might uh, you might you might have uh, found it. Uh, <clears throat> but Nick Voke of the Corn Ferry Tour uh, was um play was suspended on friday um and so he had to be back out at the golf course to finish his second round where he was currently on the cut line and he gets into this elevator at 6 13 a.m plenty of time to make it to the golf course and do his warm-up except when he gets into the elevator as the elevator is headed down to the lobby for them to leave they get stuck him and his caddy get stuck and it's so funny because they talk about how, like, they thought it was really funny at first. They started doing Instagram videos. They started doing funny things, posting things about it. But eventually, they were stuck on the elevator for 46 minutes, and they they were absolutely uh, freaking out. And so, like, they were pulling. They're trying to get out. They're, they're, they're trying to find a way out. It even said that Voke once thought that he discussed climbing out of the elevator um, <laughs> that was stuck in between floors to try and get out um, in time to make his tea time. And uh, his caddy said he would have to find another caddy to finish his one and a half holes on Saturday morning because he was not going to follow him out of the elevator shaft um, onto and, and try and find another floor. Uh, but the really cool thing about this is that Vogue actually uh, made a birdie when he returned to play on Saturday morning. So he did make it in time, 10 to 20 minutes right before his tea time. He got there, did a little quick warm up, headed to the 17th, uh, fairway where he had a wedge um, onto the green. He says he caught it a little bit thin. It didn't fly as far. It kicked a little further, and we made birdie. Uh, and so he made birdie, got um, underneath the cut line, made the cut, and then went out and shot a third round 65 later that day. So really interesting story in my mind, a lot of adversity uh, that happens and, and those kinds of things. And, and I love uh, what what he said at the very end, he said, you know what, we have a new motto moving forward, and it is that we will always be taking the stairs. So, um, and w- which I which I actually, I don't know why, but my tendency on at, at a hotel, maybe you guys are different, I don't know, my tendency is to always take the elevator, but I, I would imagine that the stairs is probably just as fast, if not faster, right? You know, I, uh, I, I feel for this guy, because I hate... <laughs> elevators uh, i really do i'm not like claustrophobic or anything like that but getting stuck is like one of my worst fears and even in my office building where i'm on the 10th floor of my my building 
I take the stairs every now. I haven't been in the office in a year, so uh, but <laughs> it's I, been a while. Took, you, yeah, you, it is. Yeah. You but packed I on a few stairs. pounds without hiking those ten flights of stairs. Oh, definitely got the COVID nineteen. Absolutely <laughs> got the COVID nineteen. Um, but uh, I, I feel for him, and that's uh, that is my worst nightmare. And uh, I will be taking the stairs at Innisbrook anytime we're there because I'm not missing our tea time. I'll go without you guys. So. <laughs> that's awesome, Nate. Do you like an elevator? Or do you like stairs? Well, being a bigger guy. I don't think there's any bigger guy who likes elevators for multiple reasons. Um, not that, you know, I, I think I have been more overweight in my life in the past. Uh, but you never like to be the biggest guy on the elevator because if, like, you know, there's a, a sudden jerk or, or some kind of stop, everybody looks at you like, why did you get on this elevator? You're clearly the biggest person. You must be the cause of this problem. Um, and then also when you're taller and everybody's, like, at your shoulder level, and you are clearly a head taller. Like, it's just awkward when you're yeah. standing there with people. Right. So right. I'm like Bob. When I worked in uh, downtown Jacksonville, I don't think I was even up that. Maybe fifth floor, I think. Uh, I took the stairs every day just because I wanted to avoid the awkwardness. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, yeah, people I, problems. I don't know why it's like a fascinating thing for people to like see how many people can pack into an elevator. I hate that. But have you, have you ever been like I, the worst, the worst thing about an elevator is when like you're at a hotel or you're somewhere at a convention center and there's like a, a group full of people who climb onto this elevator and then they're all like, oh, we still got room. Come, come on, on in. in. It's come like, on no, in. Come no, on in. No, I don't, I don't want to come in there with you. Like, <laughs> I want to be in, if I'm in there with anybody, I want to be in there with me and my wife and that's it. Like, leave me alone. Like if if there's more people than that, I'm just going to take the stairs. Like we're going to get there just as fast because we're going to stop 15 times on the way up. I'm going to have to move out of your way. You're going to rub up against me some weird way. And like, like just, just go. Like, I don't, I don't need to get on. Like I'll wait for the next one. (laughs) See, there's one great benefit of COVID right there is that it's one party per elevator now and you're, you're set to go. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it should, it COVID, I, I do think like if there is something that COVID could give the world that is good, it is a new elevator rule all the time from now on. No, no more than two people who know each other in the same elevator. So um, anyway, well, that, that, anyway, that, that, I just thought that was interesting. It's like kind of a nice little like aspect of golf that we don't get to hear about a lot, but like, you, you know, you have these guys who are staying in these Hampton Inns on the Corn Ferry Tour or whatever. And, and then to, to face, you know, not only like the possibility of being disqualified if he doesn't make his tee time um, or, or get back to uh, the restart in time. Like it, it just a, it's a really interesting thing to me uh, that that such a small thing like an elevator getting stuck could have such a big impact on a on a person's golf career. Like, I mean, he could have lost a lot of money by not making it back to the golf course this past weekend. So anyway, um, pretty, pretty cool story. Glad, uh, glad he made the cut. Glad he had a good third round and uh, made a little bit of money uh, after that endeavor on that elevator Saturday morning. Uh, So uh, over the weekend, the ACC championship was there, and I'm a Clemson alumni, and Clemson got the 2021 ACC Men's Golf Championship. They've, uh, for those of you that that follow golf and collegiate golf, Clemson is is probably, they're not, uh, they have a couple of national championships. The last one was way back in, 2001 back when i was there uh but they're generally a pretty solid top 25 team but they hadn't actually won the acc title since 2016 uh, which for them was a pretty long time uh so it was pretty cool they beat florida state three and two they were way back and 
uh, ended up winning on the 18th hole in the last match and, and took the victory. Um, and uh, it, it was it was fun to read about. I didn't get to see it, so I, I didn't obviously it wasn't, wasn't televised out here in California, but got to read all about it. it was following on Twitter and uh, kind of a cool thing to uh, to see and, and, and proud of those guys. And it got me thinking a little bit more about collegiate golf and how it fits within kind of the the broader development of players uh, on the PJ Tour because there's a lot of different paths to the tour. Um, and there's a lot of different guys who went through collegiate golf, obviously, and, and were very successful there and were very successful uh, as they made their way further up the ranks. Uh, but then there's uh, – that's uh, not the only way to make it. And I guess there's just a question out to you guys is, you know, where does collegiate golf kind of fit? And, and do you think it helps? Do you think it hurts? Do you think there's any advantages that can get from playing at that level before you move, whether it's to the Corn Ferry Tour or some of these mini tours or a straight jump to the PGA Tour and – you know what? Uh, how? What do you guys think? Absolutely. I, I you know, it, it's like a. I think it's like any other sport, and I think it's interesting that some of these topics are coming up right after the Zurich, where we talk about kind of team sports. But I would have the same view of college golf as I do for college basketball. Now, are there? And, and this argument or this discussion comes up in in the basketball context a little bit more. Um, because there there may be a little bit more interest for certain folks to kind of skip a couple levels of competition, right? There are guys that that may be good enough to go from high school into the pros, and there may be some golfers that may be good enough that instead of going to college could start playing on mini tours or could try to go get their PGA Tour card. Um, you know, there may be guys, uh, maybe a handful each generation that could be good enough that young to do that. You think of like the Spieths or the Justin Thomases, guys who had very storied amateur careers and they could potentially do that. Now, I think it, it worked out really well for those guys that they went to college because I think ultimately finding the best, uh, most talented players at at your age, at your skill level, and getting into those competitions is always a good thing. I Which, think sometimes I, you can get a little above your head, whether it's physically at that age. Like when you think about high school, you know, colleges give guys an opportunity. And I know you guys have probably seen this on Instagram and YouTube, but they have walkthroughs of some of the bigger uh, collegiate golf programs, you know, their practice facilities, their gyms, their workout routines. Uh, Ricky Fowler produced a really good documentary about Oklahoma State last year before COVID came out. And it was kind of like Hard Knocks, the NFL football series, but for college golf, really interesting behind the scenes look at a top flight. You know, Victor Hovland was there at the time, Chris Ventura, those guys were uh, teammates at Zurich. Uh, but a really interesting behind-the-scenes look at what uh, a life of a college golfer is. And it's, it's like mini-tour life. I mean, they're, they're taking private wheels-up jets um, out to you know Cabo to play in tournaments. They're flying out to Florida. They're going to West Palm Beach. They're playing in tournaments out in California. And you know, they're, they're coming from Stillwater, Oklahoma. You know, they got to pack for three weeks. They have to study. They have to, to go to class. And so it, um, I, I think it does prepare you because it's that intermediate step of, you know, I'm t- my mom and dad are taking care of me in high school to all of a sudden I've got to do everything for my, for myself, right? Because I, I have to be an adult. Uh, it, it kind of provides 
not only that physical development, development on the golf course, but also a certain level of maturity, whether that's for one year or for two years, I think that's really valuable for guys. Well, yeah. something sorry, something you said that I, I see, you know, especially what Derek, you got to say about this, but you said something like competition, and I see it a lot in women's golf where you have a lot of these younger women, you know, whether they're from Korea or even in the U.S., they get pushed uh, beyond kind of their capabilities, and uh, and they just they uh, like Michelle Wee is a good example where she competed at such a young age but didn't really learn how to win. And she struggled to do that in the professional ranks for so long. She was considered a failure for such a long time because these expectations were astronomical, but she had never really learned to win. Um, but, uh, and I think that's a, a lost art and you have to, you have to, you have to learn how to win. You have to learn how to play with your, your peers and beat them. Um, so that, that's interesting that, uh, that, that you say that along with just the learning life when you're 18 and, doing your own laundry right and i and i would even go so far as to say like i think it's a really uh it's a really good step to like i mean most of these kids and i shouldn't say kids i mean they're not that much younger than me um but but most of these guys are coming out of high school and they've played with one another or against one another in ajga stuff you know growing up and so that that level of competition has always been very high for them but but one of the things that they get exposed to is, you know, um, fitness, like real golf fitness and training um, that, you know, a lot of the guys on the PJ Tour are now doing. Uh, another aspect that, that they're being exposed to is just interaction with pros that have been in that program, right? Like I can't imagine that going to Texas, like if you go play golf at the University of Texas, I can't imagine that at some point every year, you don't have some sort of interaction with Jordan Spieth, right? Like, so like I, I can't imagine if you go to Oklahoma state that you don't have some sort of interaction with Ricky Fowler or Matthew Wolf and some of the Victor Hovland, some of these guys that are on tour doing it and are doing it, you know, fairly recently as young guys coming right out of college. And so it, I, I think it, I think it gets them more prepared for, um, what it looks like to to be not just travel and do some of the things that Nate was talking about. I think I think that's legitimate, but I but I also think it 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 is they're learning how to be ambassadors of a brand, uh, which makes them more sellable to like like Titleist and TaylorMade and Ping and and some of these other you know groups. I mean, I think you know if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that um ping is kind of the official sponsor of like at least equipment sponsor of um oklahoma state and i think that that plays a lot into why victor hovland is a ping guy like i so i mean i i think that these guys begin to make and establish relationships in the golf business and the golf industry that help them as they become professionals uh from the college ranks so um i i think it's a really um I think it's a really cool thing that that golf, that college golf is getting more notoriety, more tele, like uh, more television access that we get to see these guys younger. I mean, it's cool that I can now say like, oh, yeah, I remember watching Bryson DeChambeau win the NCAA championship or, um, you know, any is something in that regard. I think that that's a cool thing. And then to see them on tour also having success um, is is cool as well. But but I think. Um, you know, those kinds of things, junior golf, 
um, and in collegiate golf and amateur golf, um, taking taking a higher precedence within the golf world than maybe it has in a really long time, maybe having more access through social media um, to these guys at a younger age, like that kind of stuff is really, really cool. Uh, Bob, where was uh, where was the ACC tournament played? It was in uh, uh, where was it played? Uh, Crab Apple Course. I'm not sure exactly where was, that is. Yeah, Milton, I think it was Georgia. In, yeah, I was going to say it's just outside of Atlanta. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was actually Georgia Tech's home course. See, that's what I was going to say. I was surprised that because I know Georgia Tech has, or at least traditionally, but I I think recently they've had a really good team. Um, And obviously Wake Forest, you think of them as an ACC golf powerhouse. Right. Um, So I was surprised when you said it. And I don't follow college golf kind of until it starts coming on the golf channel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And so uh, I was surprised when you said it was Florida State and Clemson. Not that. They haven't, you know, they, they wouldn't be good at golf because Florida State, we've talked about right. this recently, right? Kepka and Daniel Berger uh, were at the were at Florida State together. So, you know, traditionally they've had decent teams throughout time. Um, but, you know, Duke and Wake and some of those guys, Clemson certainly, um, you know, you kind of consider to be the, the powerhouse of the ACC golf. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, uh, it, since uh, the, their coach is Larry Penley, is, is Clemson's coach, and uh, it's his uh, fifth title in the last since 2000. So about every five years, he's they they, they win. So, so how many? I can name off the top of my head two Clemson golfers on tour right now: Lucas Glover and Kyle Stanley. Right. Uh, Jonathan Bird. I don't. He's probably yeah, he really. I, think, I, don't, he, I think he may be playing around anymore. these days, hanging out yeah. at Sea Island, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from yeah, and that's uh, that. That's about it right now. Did um, Ben Martin play there? Ben Martin. He's from there, but I, I don't think he played at Clemson. He's he's from okay. South Carolina, but I don't. He didn't. I don't think he went to Clemson. I okay. Think he, I don't know. I feel like that's a good one. He he might have. That's I don't know. Feel like I gotta look this up now. Yeah, that's a good poll right there because this is a game my dad and I always play when we watch golf together. <laughs> Derek, you've probably been around when we yeah. do this. Yeah, what school do you go to? What school do you go to? That's what my dad tries to stump me with, and so yeah. I, I usually know most of the kind of PGA Tour yeah uh, college affiliations. Yeah. Oh, I, I stand corrected. Yeah, Clemson University. Yeah. He's younger than you, though, Man. so you would know him. And yeah. and just so I, just so him. everybody that listens, all, that's you know, probably all the only our, reason why I know him. Our couple hundred regular listeners that we have <laughs> on the podcast, that's right? Weren't if I and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe you were like the weren't you like the class president, or the senior class president, or something at Clemson back in the day? Uh, I, not the president, but uh, I was uh, student government. I was in the, I was in states the the student senate and. Uh, made my way up there a couple of different times, and I ran the student union. So I, I, I knew a lot of guys. I, I knew what, uh, what we did up there. But I graduated back in 2003, and Ben Martin looks like he is seven years younger than I am. So uh, yeah. he probably graduated. You graduated from college in 2003? Yeah, I did. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I did. I mean, I, did. I was just saying that's shocking because I consider us about the same age. <laughs> I graduated from high school in 2002. That's yeah. uh, so 
That's I guess that's about it's right. Close. Yeah. It's, it's close. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's funny. All right. And so to me, and I know Derek was, didn't want to call them kids, but they are kids. They are <laughs> half my age <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're well, they're still they're still fifteen to you know fourteen years younger than me, but. You know, I still I feel really young compared to you guys. So, yeah. Well, and, and all you have to do is go to a college campus and see the current <laughs> right. college students to feel really old. Yeah. I and mean, I'm I'm 36. And every time I go back, I'm like, is that a group that's taking a tour on campus? Yeah, like, right. really, that is <laughs> those middle school kids school visiting kids. for some summer camp. Correct. I always think that. So I'm, I'm fairly involved at, at Milligan and I go up there from time to time for meetings um speaking of that shout out to the uh to the women the lady buffs they won the uh so bob milligan plays in the appalachian athletic conference the aac uh our women's team won the aac golf championship uh over the weekend yeah there you go also had the individual medalist at the event so congratulations lady buffs uh she'll be in the best national women's am very soon i hope so uh, not that anybody would know this, but uh, the uh, my golf coach at Milligan is also the women's golf coach now. Uh, yeah. And back in the day, he was also the men's basketball coach. Yeah. So he retired from coaching basketball um, when I was a senior. And he uh, he took a couple years off to deal with some health issues. And then he came back to coach golf again. And then they started a women's program. And so he coaches men and women's golf at Milligan College. So shout out true. to Tony Wallingford. I'm sure he'll win AAC Coach of the Year. Yeah, at least on the women's. Coach Wally. I like Coach. Yeah, that's right. Coach yeah. Wally. Coach Wally. Uh, I will say one Coach Wally story real quick, and this is like the tame version. <laughs> this is the golf version of Coach Wally, not the basketball version. That's a different podcast, I think. Um, but he once told me, because when you're playing college golf and you go and you do a bunch of practice rounds, like you end up spending a ton of time with your teammates, which is one of the, the best parts about it. Um, I never really played that well, so I didn't go to a ton of tournaments because I was also trying to play basketball, which, which doesn't really work out for you. Um, but, but one time we were on a 225-yard par three, and coach told us that he once made a hole-in-one on a 235-yard par three. Not the one we were playing, but another one. Um, and, you know, he kind of said, you know what, guys, I, there was, I think, three of us playing in a practice round, and he happened to be there with our group at the time. He goes, you know, I, I would never admit this to anybody else but you three right now, but I hit my driver on that hole. And he tells, <laughs> he tells everybody that he hit a five iron. But in reality, he, he made a hole-in-one on a 230-yard hole with his driver. And I was playing college golf in like 2003, four, five. And coach had, I don't know if you guys remember the biggest big Bertha. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But he swore by that thing. And that was outdated technology by then. Um, <laughs> and coach would not give up his greatest or his biggest big Bertha. And we later found out, obviously, because he made a hole in one with it from 230 yards. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my Coach Wallingford uh, story for the week. Nice. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, what do you have for us on the tee, Nate? Yeah, so uh, similar story, I think, um, to you, Derek. It's interesting you hear life on the mini tours. Um, 
And one thing that came across my Instagram feed earlier this week was the Monday qualifier. I think his name is Mike Vesicki. I apologize if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, uh, but I'm doing this from memory. Um, but the PGA Tour actually put out a really cool video about him. If you don't follow the tour's account on Instagram, I think you should. Um, really cool content that they kind of produce and and follow up on. Not only do they follow some of the bigger stars in the game, but they kind of give you an inside look as to what some of the guys you've never heard of are doing. And this is one of those where um, he makes a putt to qualify for the valve spar. So he has a spot. He Monday qualified. And the camera kind of picks him up calling his dad and telling his dad that he qualified for the event. Uh, and he can't hold back tears. He is bawling. He's crying. He can't get the words out. And, you know, you just feel for the guy. Uh, and he eventually gets it out that, you know, he he made it. He's going to play. This is his dream come true. It's going to be his first start on the PGA Tour. And his dad is so proud of him. You can hear how much he's supportive and how much he loves. Him. Like, it's a whole it, – it's just a great story. And and so that that makes you feel good. And then the PGA Tour – puts out a video and, and kind of asks like, you know, why such an emotional reaction? We we can understand. And, and we know that, you know, the first start, it's a big deal. It's a culmination of a lot of hard work, but you know, do you want to provide a little bit of context around what happened? And he goes on to tell this story about how growing up, his parents really sacrificed for him to be able to even play junior golf, whether it was to buy clubs or to get lessons or to, to play in certain tournaments. He can remember as a kid, and this is pretty amazing stuff. He can remember as a kid uh, his parents skipping meals so that he could eat or that so that he could buy clubs or so he could pay membership dues to sign up for a junior tour event. Man. And for him to be able to tell his dad that, you know, all that work, all that sacrifice, all that effort, you know, that it's finally paid off and, and he's going to play. It was really emotional. It was a really great story. And that's the kind of stuff that the tour puts out. And I think they do a great job of highlighting that stuff just as much as the Tigers and the Rory's and the JT's. Right. Because I think that balances it out and, and helps us all to remember that not everybody playing out there is a, a millionaire. Right. Not everybody playing is going to make 300, 400, 500 grand just in endorsements with your clubs, right? That's not how everybody mm. is. There are guys that are scraping by that are literally borrowing money to do this. That, yeah. are, that are borrowing money from their family or from other investors. And so it's really cool to see kind of the other side uh, of what we typically don't see. And I hope that, uh, that that Big Mike gets a chance to get out there and he makes the cut and he gets to make some money this week because I think that would be a kind of a really great story. And, and I can imagine that the tour would publish something about that if that's what happens. So good luck to him yeah. this week. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that is a really cool story. Um, I, it's, it's interesting to me. Um, and, 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 you know, I didn't know this until, I don't know, probably a couple of years ago, but it's interesting to me that you have to be a member at a certain club in order to, uh, apply for or qualify for some junior events, a lot of junior events. Like you, you, you can't just be an average golfer who goes out to a regular muni and practices and, you know, then enters into events. Um, but you have to be a member, um, at a club. And I, you know, it, we talk about access in the game of golf and things like that. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, that's crazy that his parents would, would do those kinds of things just to give him that access, just give him that opportunity, um, just to, just to try and, 
give him a chance to uh, to make it and do um, great stuff um, in the in the game of golf and and live out his dream uh, of playing on the PGA Tour. So, yeah, man, uh, rooting for him and hope uh, hope it turns out well this weekend for sure. That's right. Well, um, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, like let's give a little bit of a recap of what we watched this past weekend from uh, New Orleans. I think uh, really uh, fun stuff to watch. Team golf, different. It's different format than what we're used to watching, obviously. Uh, and uh, and so there's lots of interesting aspects to it where you see guys go low really quickly, and then obviously they don't go as low the on Friday, uh, trying to make the cut and those kinds of things because it's alternate shot, uh, or foursomes as they, uh, call it, uh, I guess, uh, in, in golf terminology or whatever, but oftentimes known as alternate shot. Um, and then go back to kind of the best ball format, um, or four ball, uh, for Saturday's round. And then for the final round, go back to alternate shot again. And so, um, which is a really difficult, obviously all those guys on tour will tell you it's the most difficult format to play, uh, team golf, but, uh, but it is, uh, the f- two formats that they use in, um, in, on, on this tournament, uh, for this tournament. Uh, so I mean, I don't know, what did you guys see that was surprising to you or interesting to you that, that really, um, stood out and, and made, uh, made you kind of tune in and, and, uh, pay attention to what was going on? Well, first I gotta say, um, I, I don't know what I was drinking last week, but my picks were terrible, and you know it. it, it I clearly was barking up the wrong tree with the the Varner um, and, and Grace Tusum. That 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 didn't work. So I'm gonna chalk that one up to just I, I was still on Hawaii time. Yeah, I Hawaiian hangover. Over. There, I think. Uh, Hawaiian yeah. hangover. Absolutely, too much of the pineapple juice. You know. So, uh, but yeah, what? Uh, I think we're going to talk about the team golf a little bit, and we'll get into that. One of the things that surprised me was, and, and we uh, we were trading some text about this earlier, but just the the condition of the course was brutal uh, at some points, where some of those bounces were just unfair, and that was a that was a bummer. It was a bummer to see some of that kind of transpire that way. But uh, I love watching the team golf; uh, that, that's always fun. But the course surprised me a little bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, I thought that too. I thought that the golf course was maybe if it wasn't over the line, it was definitely borderline. And I know it's hard to say that whenever you have a, um, you know, a winning score of 20 under par, but you know, obviously you're playing team golf too, you know? So two of those rounds are best ball, which you're probably not going to make any bogeys in those rounds if you're playing best ball. Um, so um, so it's just, it's kind of one of those things for me. I thought, I thought the same thing. And, and, and one of the interesting aspects of it, it reminded me, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it reminded me of the 2017 PGA championship at Quell Hollow where they talked about how they just, just like, and I think Zach Johnson was ridiculed because he talked about how much they had lost the greens at that tournament. I know we talk about that happening more at the U S open as opposed to like the masters or the PGA championship, but, but at the PGA that year that Justin Thomas won it, um, he basically had said, like, look, like these are just unplayable. Like they, They're basically unplayable. But they were new. They were new greens that they had just put in. Same thing is true at, at um, you know, at this golf course in Louisiana this past weekend um, was, you know, new new greens. 
relatively new greens that these greens were put in in the last year uh, and and that they, you know, seem to um, have them. I mean, they were very firm. Um, the bounces were were very is very hard to hold greens. I mean, you saw I don't know if I've seen so many guys hitting it short of greens and hoping that it would run up um, onto a green because if you flew it onto the green, it was likely going to end up, you know, way off the back. Which is very um, strange in an environment where it is so humid. Like, right. you know, and, and I play a yeah. ton of golf in, in humid environments here in Jacksonville. Very rarely, like if you're short of a green, it's not going to release onto the green, right? Right. right. At Louisiana, New Orleans, that's, that's the same situation. It's muggy. It's humid. I thought it was hilarious how many times, especially on some of those par fives. And, and along the same lines, there is nothing worse in golf than hazards or or difficult or or things in the middle of fairways that <laughs> hole where they have that tree the center line tree in the middle of that fairway <laughs> that cam smith ended up hitting it right behind or was it leishman yep. that he hit no. it right behind yeah One it was leishman because cam right, had to take the drop yeah hit it two inches from the tree it's like this is so stupid <laughs> like if you want to make the fairway narrower uh, right. If you want to tighten it up, if you want to make the rough more difficult, like whatever you want to do to make courses difficult, that's fine. But Bob knows the term that I use for this, and that is gimmick architecture. Yeah, that's so, what that is. Uh, it, there's there's Nate's courses. favorite course is the, uh, uh, the 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 love course at the Barefoot Resort out in uh, Barefoot Resort out in uh, uh, Myrtle Beach, where every par five at about two fifty out either has a hard turn. Or a giant hazard, or a river running right down the middle, and which I, is great I when you're playing it. him in match play. Exactly right. <laughs> I hit it in those every single time because you know why, guys? I aim for the middle of the fairway. <laughs> and when you put something in the middle of the fairway, like you never think you're going to hit it in the middle of the fairway because typically, you know, back in those days, I, I would hit kind of a slight draw. Now I hit uh, a slight fade, but it, you never think it's actually going to land in the center of the fairway. But I cannot tell you how mad I am. So when I saw Leishman's drive roll up to that tree and Dottie Pepper said, yep, it's two inches from the trunk. I thought, man, if I was Mark Leishman, I, I would think about breaking that driver. Mm. Like that, that's just that, like that's the worst cork. Not that you'd be upset with yourself because you had a great drive. Right. It's like the fact that you have some kind of luck and the, ar- you know, the, the architect put a, a hazard right there in the middle of the fairway. I hate that. Right. I find that to be gimmicky, uh, uninspired, uncreative. Like th- that's that has no place in golf, in my opinion. Right. Well, yeah, and I think you know that that also begs the question of like when when golf courses are built, and you know, are you know the difference between a golf course that's timeless and can hold up over time, no matter what you know equipment or you know, whatever happens that there are golf courses that hold up over time. And there are golf courses that quite honestly, like they, they maybe were a a fine design. They weren't, the the design didn't impact um, play uh, as much um, whenever, you know, people were playing with persimmons and bolotas or something, but, but now um, there is a bigger issue and it needs to be potentially addressed and removed. Um, but I, but one of the things I think is really interesting that you say is I think there are a lot of times where I, I think that the illusion of a tree in the middle of a fairway is really nice. Um, like 
I, I think I think when you can create a design where it looks like there's a bunker in the middle of a fairway, or it looks like there's a there's a tree or something in the middle of the fairway, absolutely, um, it it becomes a more challenging testing thing. But then you get out there and you're like, oh man, like I had so much more room, right? Well, than I thought I had, guy. right? Pete right. You think of Pete Guy, you think of Mike Strands at like Tobacco Road. Like you don't realize how much landing area you actually have at some well, of the spots, right? Well, that's because half of that stuff is blind. Is, those are blind shots. <laughs> well, that's yeah, different. <laughs> well, yeah, but there's also there's also there's also things that they put out in the distance really as aiming points, but you think that they're actually like correct with things that you could changes. potentially that's right. yeah. Yep. You think no, that there's I agree things with you that. could reach or touch, and 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 I think, but that that's what makes those golf courses great at the same time. So. um you know, but but I am with you. Like I think those kinds of things, right in the middle of the fairway, actually in play, are yeah, are ridiculously stupid. Uh, but the other thing that I noticed um, was that looking at the leaderboard, none of those teams, and I didn't watch really any golf. I, I caught maybe thirty minutes of it on Saturday. I really didn't watch until kind of the the back nine on Sunday. Um, when I finally had a chance to sit down and start watching it, but the leaderboard was full of teams that you would expect. And I think it's interesting when you talk about team golf, would you rather be kind of a, and I think there was a good contrast on the leaderboard for us, right? They told the story of Bubba Watson and Scotty Scheffler, right? Like not that they particularly know or like it well, not that they don't like each other. Right. Everybody says, like as much as I think Bubba Watson is annoying and strange with his TikTok <laughs> stuff, uh, everybody on tour loves Bubba Watson, like him as a person or as a man. Like they right. like him. Uh, you know, Brooks Kepka literally said, and Brooks Kepka of all people said, "Who's who's your favorite guy to play with on tour?" And he said, "Hands down, it would be Bubba any day." Wow. W- which you would think Bubba would annoy Brooks. So I think right. that means, I think that means he's a good guy, even right. though he kind of does some really weird off kilter stuff. Yeah. Um, but they told that story of how both Bubba Watson and Scotty Scheffler asked like three or four other guys. And then they ended up talking to each other and said, Hey, are you going to show up to the event? I need a partner. Yeah, I need a partner. And then they called more guys (laughs) and nobody was available or wasn't going to show up or already had a partner. And so then they finally just ended up like, Hey, I can't find anybody else. We're here together. Might as well do it. Let's do it. So, you know, there's not a comfort level there. They're not particularly close. They haven't played a ton of golf together. Uh, and they were up on the leaderboard and made a pretty good charge. But you hear, you, you think of guys like Leishman and Cam Smith who have played some golf together, know each other. They play practice rounds together because they're Australian. And Oosthuizen and Swartzel have been friends since they were, they, they said, like 12 and 14. Uh, and, you, and you even hear stories. And this is the interesting part about listening to some of this stuff that comes up, you know, when, when guys team up. I didn't realize that Richie Warinsky, who played at Georgia Tech, uh, Peter Uline, who played at Oklahoma State, both very highly regarded amateur golfers, both grew up in the Massachusetts, Connecticut area and played a bunch of junior golf together. Hmm. We all all know that Peter Uline's dad was the former CEO of Titleist and Footjoy, Wally Uline. Mm. I didn't know that he grew up playing golf with Richie Warinsky. If I would have known that, I might have picked them, right? Yeah. Because I think you think of guys like and I think, Bob, you may have even mentioned them. Um, you think of Kisner and Scott Brown, guys right, who grew right. up together in Aiken, yep. right, playing golf together. Those are the types of, of teams that you think do really well together. Um, 
And that's why I do believe that the pick of Grace and Varner couldn't have been worse. <laughs> because they have absolutely no familiarity with, with one another. It seems I like, like what you me, did there. You brought it back full circle. I really yeah, it seems like good. to me that there's a benefit to having a comfort level or some familiarity that you've played golf with the guy before. And it's just kind of an extension of a whether it makes you more relaxed or whether you actually play some golf, a, a little bit better team golf, because you understand relative strengths and weaknesses and you can plan out tee shots and you know where to miss or, you know, you know, as a great short gamer or whatever it happens to be. It seems to me that guys like that do better in, in team golf. Yeah, for sure. And, you, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting and, and they were up at the top of the leaderboard. Sorry, Nate, but they were they were, you know, pretty highly up there for a long time until Sunday um, was was champion fee now. And yeah. I've I've watched I've watched champion fee now play both. I've watched them both play a lot, but. I think this week, probably more than any, I I noticed because I think you could be more aggressive, you know. Like I even think those guys were because if one guy hit it into the fairway and had a good tee shot, they they felt pretty confident of like being more aggressive themselves, um, and play a little bit more strategically in that regard. Um, but I noticed something about Cameron Champ's game that like I don't know that I've ever seen anybody drive the ball better than him um, for, you know, like maybe with the exception of Rory and DJ, um, but just like consistently just pounding it. Like, I mean, just absolutely 190 ball speed, just right down the middle of the fairway. And then the worst wedge play I've ever seen in my life. Well, like, I don't know that's, that's if I've happens. ever, like, I mean, that, that I, could I saw also him miss, describe Rory at times saw, too, though. Well, I, yeah, but I saw him, I saw him miss four greens with less than a pitching wedge in his hand. And I thought to myself, like, how is that even possible? Like, I don't even know how that's possible. Like, I mean, for, for me, sure. You know, I can do that all day long, but for a guy that literally is making $8 million this year on the PGA tour, and he misses the green four times with a wedge in his hand. I was like, golly, this is, I was like, man, like I, I, it's like the greatest combination of like driving and the worst combination of wedge play I've ever seen. Um, so it was, it was like, wow. Like I was just, I was just, I was surprised. Like you would think that a guy that has that many, he probably hits more wedges than almost anybody on tour because of how I far he hits it. Disagree. Well, maybe in competition, but he clearly well, doesn't. Well, and that's, not in practice, but yeah, but I mean, he well, has more shots with wedges in competition than almost sure. anybody else. So he sure. should probably like have a decent wedge game. I would be imagine. better than he is. Yeah, I, would I think. don't think you're going to get any argument here. But they, but you know, that's the same story that they used to say about DJ, right? Yeah. It wasn't until he got serious and became one of the better players on tour inside 125 statistically uh, that he started, you know, really winning consistently. Yeah, and so until Cameron until then, Champ he didn't, is going he, to have to do that. Yeah. But I mean, you can tell like he's got a he's got a gear that not very many guys have on tour. It's just disappointing to see him not really be able to capitalize on it because of that. You know, Um, because I I don't even shot. I don't I think I saw their scorecard. I think they shot 41 on the front nine on Sunday. Yeah. No, they they were. definitely Yeah. They were over par. Maybe. I mean, it was it was rough. Yeah. And and I feel like I just cursed Tony at this point. Like I, I really, he's a nice guy. I don't know anything about Cameron Champ. Like, could be a good guy, could be a bad guy. But if you're teamed up with Tony Finau, I'm going to cheer for you. 
Yeah. Um, and one of these days he will win by a million. It may or may not be when I pick him, um, <laughs> but he will he will deserve it. And I hope like it's not one of those things that you know I'm, I'm somehow actively cursing him by continuing to have this apparently you know like Bill Simmons talks about it in some of his mm-hmm. basketball books. Like I think I have this irrational confidence in Tony Fino. <laughs> Like it defy. Like, why do I think that Tony Finau is going to win a tournament and Xander Schauffele won't? Like, I don't right. know why. I, I can't really re- like. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I can't reconcile those well, two thoughts in my head. But yeah. I do know that Finau is close. Well, I will say, I think, I think I'm I'm actually glad he didn't win this weekend because I think there would have been kind of an asterisk by it that he was on a team event. It wasn't him doing it on his own. Um, kind of thing, and so I'm actually glad he didn't win. Uh, but I'm See, glad. I figure this would have been a really good stepping stone, like because it, it, to the same point um, that it, it's not really a win. Like you have a teammate because I right. think we all agree, and I know I certainly do that once he starts. Like you know, I know he won in Puerto Rico. Doesn't really count either, right? Right. It's opposite right. field event. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and then he would, he could potentially have won last week and, and kind of the same thing. And like, it, it goes back to that same thing that we talk about it. It seems to be a common thread. I, like, I just value the fact that they seem like guys who put themselves in competition, whether that's junior golf, college golf, PGA tour golf, that pays off. And he's been in competition too much around the top of the leaderboard to not completely break through and not just win once, twice, three times, like a couple majors in a couple year period is what I, I really think the ceiling for Finau is. Um, and it's just a, it's it just a matter of time. I yeah. Think. I mean, you, you definitely think you could definitely have like a David Duvall type of situation where like once he wins, he's going to win a bunch. Yeah. So, yeah. And definitely has the game to, to be one of the top five players in the world for, you know, a really long time. So, um, well, you know, outside of all that, you know, we saw that, that obviously this got into a playoff this weekend and sadly the way that it ended, I mean, obviously it wasn't, it was kind of like a handshake. Um, you know, I, I, I texted you guys. I said, man, this is the greatest pillow fight I've ever seen in my life. Um, coming down the 18th hole cause they both make bogey. Right. And then and then they go into a playoff after both making bogey, and then Louis Oosthuizen steps up to the tee, hits a good drive, felt super confident, and yeah. and hit it into the water um, over the green. No, 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 no. What are you talking about? I thought Oosthuizen hit it over the in the water over the green. No, 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 no. On eighteen on the oh, playoff. Okay. No, no, no yeah, no, he just no, he just he just blew. Yeah, he just pushed it and it. No, that was it, in regulation. Yeah, in regulation. Cameron I know Smith what you're talking about. Same, yeah, he, he hit it like three wood short, which I don't understand right. how that happened either. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about on the drivable sixteenth. <laughs> yes. Louis yes. flew it onto the green yeah. and it bounced over, and it which bounced was over, seemed which, very unfair. Yeah. And Worst then, bounce ever. By the and way. then Leishman oh gets gosh. a free drop because it's near the green and he ends up holding it. Which yep. I think is fascinating to think that, like, if a guy on the PGA Tour can just place it where he wants it, there's a good chance he's going to get it close or give give it a run to make it. Well, especially um, that short, that easy right. chip shot. I mean, that's yeah, crazy. like a short, easy chip shot like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think for me, that's that's one of those things that, like, going into the playoff, though, Louis steps up to the tee and he blows it way right into the water. And essentially yeah. at that moment, like, Cam Smith steps up knowing, like, all I have to do is keep it in play. 
you know, like it's a par five. I don't, it doesn't matter if I hit it miles left, as long as it's in play and we can lay something up in the fairway, go for the green and three and make two putts, make a par. We're good to go. And that's what they did. Ended up winning. But it made me think like this is one of the situations where like one shot or one mistake by one player can really impact an entire team. And and I know that as a guy who grew up playing team sports more than playing golf, I didn't ever play golf competitively. Um, like, but I did play a lot of team sports at a pretty high level. And and I can remember times where like a mistake that I would make would cost an entire team. And so I just thought, uh, how interesting would it be to talk maybe if you guys had a situation like that or an experience like that, uh, where that was something that happened um, in your life? I know for me, uh, when I was 14 years old, we were playing in the AAU World Series in Nashville, Tennessee, and my uh, is my day to pitch. I was a I was a left-handed pitcher, uh, pitched in college, and um, and then um, but I was I was pitching in this tournament. Our team was pretty good. Uh, we had won the North Carolina State Championship, uh, and and so we were we were you know probably we thought we were going to be good enough to get to like some somewhere pretty deep in this tournament, and we had this game and. And I remember I had never given up a home run in my entire life, like never up until that point. I was 14 years old, never given up a home run in any game up until that point. And I threw a ball over the middle of the plate, and there was this kid who was 14 years old, probably weighed 275 pounds. And, like, I mean, he's like the big hurt Frank Thomas kind of guy. Um, you know, one of those just absolute superhumans at 14, probably Nate, honestly. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and current Nate at 36 current, this current kid Nate, was at yeah. 14 yeah this kid was <laughs> Nate at 14 and uh and I and you know I just I left a fastball over the middle of the plate a little bit up in the zone and he hit it over the center field fence with two guys on and we were winning the game at the time and then we ended up losing the game uh but um but I gave up this three-run home run and we were sitting at dinner with the team, not two, I mean, a couple of nights, uh, maybe not in a couple of nights, but maybe like the next day, the next night, we were sitting waiting to hear what our seed was going to be in the championship bracket. And then we got word that we didn't even make the championship bracket because of three runs. And in that moment, one of the guys on our team said, oh, it was the three run homer by the fat kid. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's pretty presumptuous by that. I mean, how many other runs did other people like how many times did somebody well, else strike out? Well, I'm just, I'm, remote just, I'm just saying to tie that back. Yeah, I'm just saying like it was just it was like the first thing that somebody thought of was the three run homer by the fat kid, which was the first home run I had ever given up. And I in that moment, I can remember still as a 14 year old, like I got up from the table, I went to the bathroom and I was like super upset because like I, I really thought. Like I had just caught now looking back on it now is like, you know, an adult man. I'm like, okay, yeah, it wasn't just me. Uh, but like, but in that moment, I definitely thought like, man, like I definitely cost my team uh, the opportunity to play for a world series championship in the championship bracket um, because I gave up that three run homer to the fat kid. So, um, so I've had that moment. I, I think um, I came close to having that moment at Wingfoot when I kept missing a bunch of short putts, but luckily <laughs> Luckily, on the 18th hole, when they needed to make a par to beat us, they made a bogey. So 
we walked away with the money. But well, um, I mean, we but, were all struggling at Wings. We, we were all struggling. None of us, none of us played great that day. But it was it was nice to know that like my my five you didn't lose it. My five three foot misses did not lose it. So yeah, yeah. You know that it uh, th- th- this isn't the World Series or, or anything quite as uh, grandiose as that, and it's definitely not Wingfoot. But uh, no, circa I don't know about 2009, right? Uh, Nate and I and a bunch of our buddies out in, in in Jacksonville, we played in the Kings Cup, which was a uh, kind of a church. I think we've talked about the pod before, but our church put it on, and it was this great golf tournament where. A bunch of guys get together, and we probably had 30 different guys, and it was a Ryder Cup-style event. We split into two teams, and it was, it was a fun little two-day, 54-hole um, event that was a lot of fun. And on, I, I don't even remember if this was the first day or the second day, but I was paired up with uh, Greg Whitney. Uh, shout out to Mr. Whitney, who I'm sure is listening. He's one of our there. couple hundred listeners every week for yeah, sure. I, I yeah, I like it. But Greg and I were paired up at Cimarron Golf Club in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, which I don't think I'm allowed back to for different reasons. <laughs> that we'll get into on a different podcast. Oh, man. Not, I've almost uh, been running out of there, too. But Bob, <laughs> no, not anything bad, but Bob is a stickler. If his tee time is 9.21 a.m., his foot better be on the first tee box <laughs> at 9.20 a.m. And if it's not, he will storm in to the clubhouse and he will give that person behind the desk a piece of his mind about tardiness <laughs> and about maintaining a tea sheet and keeping them eight minutes apart. Cause we found out at one point Cimarron was scheduling tea times every four minutes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so it wasn't a surprise that we were like, I mean, I, we were five or six people behind. So mm. Bob went in there and lost it on a guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't go well for the rest of the round and then he moved to California. So now I can't go to Cimarron. Now I can't go to Cimarron either and Bob's living his life in California. I, we so. just about hit off that tee box. I don't care who's in front of me. But anyway, so anyways, we were at Cimarron and uh, we're playing this match and our the format uh was this was a varying format, but as we got to the back nine, it was an alternate shot. And it was a pure alternate shot, meaning uh, on you, you just, it's not, we both hit our drive, but it's, it's one person, a drive, the next person, the approach, then the putt and et cetera, et cetera. And Greg and I got off to a terrible start, uh, in the match and we got down, we were three or four down at the turn. Uh, and, uh, we were playing, I think we were playing Dennis Bratton, who is the pastor of our church, the, 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 the lead pastor <laughs> and somebody else who I, I don't remember who else we were playing. Um, and if he's the pastor, down, he's probably playing with the best golfer at your church, other than Nate. Well, the best golfer was probably Nate and then maybe me. So it, <laughs> it, it wasn't the best one. But we were, um, we got down, and then we started playing a lot better on the back. And we, we got our momentum back. We tied it up on 17. And I distinctly remember um, I had a really good approach to 17. Greg made the putt, and we're like, man, we are – we tied it up. We got the momentum going to 18. And the 18th hole – is kind of a mid-length par four. It's probably like 380, 390 with a slightly elevated green that's got some mounding around it. So you got to hit a driver. And if you hit a good driver, you got a wedge in, right? And there's water going all the way down the right-hand side. And um, I don't even remember. uh, Oh, actually, I guess we had to go first. And Greg, you know, uh, he goes, all right, Bob, just anywhere down the left side. There's a giant hill on the left side. So anything down the left side will kick into the fairway. 
uh, and away from the water, right? Because the water is way down on the right. So he says, just hit it up on the hill, anywhere up there. And I said, no problem. So I get up there. And for those of you who know me, I have a tendency to miss right. I've got a little snap hook problem every once in a while that rears its ugly head. And I just hit this ugly snap hook that might have gone 150 yards straight and 150 yards to the right. I'm a left. <laughs> um, and it was nasty. And then we had a couple of guys behind us who finished their match and then were kind of following us. And uh, Bratton, the, the pastor, his partner was on the tee box, and he striped it down the middle. And somebody goes up and, and, and uh, asks Dennis, hey, what happened? And Dennis goes, just loud enough that I can hear him. He goes, the lefty put it in the water. <laughs> and Greg looked at me, and I'm like, well, we lost that one. <laughs> it was, man, I, 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 that was back in, I think, 2008, maybe 2009. And I'm pretty sure I hear that at least three times a year, maybe four. Yeah, you're, every you're time we get that to- story. That's right. Every time we get together and it's coming down, because we always give Bob a hard time about how the pressure makes him duck up, right? right? Like that <laughs> that one faithful day during the King's Cup on the 18th tee at Cimarron. So <laughs> I think Robbie and I might have been waiting for him up at the green. Um, yeah. And we're like, what happened? What happened? Because we, we usually played on the same team. Um, and uh, And Greg just walks up shaking his head. Doesn't even say anything. Bob doesn't want to say it. Uh, Greg's just shaking his head, and we're like, oh, this, this isn't going to be. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Robbie's, you know, somewhat, I guess, ethnic doppelganger got into the field today. I saw uh, that. At the Valspar because of uh, four positive COVID tests. So I saw that. Cure deck, Affy Barnrat. Avi Barnett. It's a combination. The combination of Robbie Forsty and Kelvin Ling. That's right. Two two regular <laughs> listeners. That's right. Um, so I, them. yeah, I have a I have a couple kind of stories like that. None as dramatic as as you guys. I mean, you know, when you play basketball long enough, you miss free throws. That's what sticks with me. Mm. Um, they're late game free throws that you miss. You know, where literally, you know, you make these free throws, you ice the game. So there's one specific game that I remember in college. Um, I, um, I got, so I was always, and I guess I have to set the story up. I was never a very good, like college basketball player. I'm a much better rec league basketball player than I am college basketball because I do everything kind of well, but I don't have a particularly like high rated skill. I'm pretty good at everything. I, I mean, maybe outside of basketball IQ, I was a fairly smart basketball player. That's because I grew up with Kevin Tinger. There's no, mm. there's no yeah. other way to be other than to be smart and to know everything about basketball. <laughs> but I was certainly never athletic. Uh, I could shoot, um, but you know my intelligence was you know and, and the fact Tony Wallingford, my basketball coach, used to say the only reason I got a scholarship uh, was because he can't teach height. <laughs> so I, I was six foot seven, and and I was a fair. I've I've always been a large guy, so it's not like I was slender. So I, I was a really good post defender, and that was kind of my my real utility for, for the Milligan college basketball team, go buffs, go buffs, uh, was that I was kind of the, the first post player off the bench, whether they needed somebody to play four or play five, I could always guard the other guys, big guy. Mm. Um, and if there was a post player, I was typically, you know, going to be the main guy guarding him most of the game because I was, I was pretty good. I knew how to move my feet. I could, you know, I knew how to play defense. So, 
Um, one game particularly for me, um, I always inbounded the ball uh, because coach trusted me to do that. Um, so it was a, it was a really bad series of events for us. Well, for me personally, uh, I turned it over because I thought my point guard, Scott Ferguson was going to cut one way. He, he cut the other way, threw it right to the other team and they score mm. a layup. So our six point lead is down to four. Um, and, and, you know, so I get mad at myself that that's kind of what golf teaches you. I think is that that's not Scott's, that's not Ferg's fault, right? That's my fault. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, I'm not here turning the ball over, right? Like, we talked about that before. Like, that's why I respect Jordan Spieth is because I feel the exact same way. Right. Like, I'm my inner self-talk, whether it's golf or basketball or work or anything else I'm doing in life, it is, you know, accountability. It's going to be my fault. And so I'm, I'm really upset at myself because I'm not the guy that does that. Uh, so I turn it over. They score a layup. I'm, I'm taking the ball out again. I throw it into the other side, uh, probably the well, one of the two best players I played with in college, Jonathan Harris, our three-man uh, lefty from California. He gets the ball, kind of gets trapped, throws it back to me. I get fouled. One and one on the other end. Uh, I miss the front end. Mm. And it's like, what am I doing? I'm a 80, 78, 80% free throw shooter. So I'm turning the ball over and I'm missing the front end. Like, great job, Nate. You're really, really helping the squad today. <laughs> um and so uh, the next time down, I, I think we get a rebound. They foul us. Morell, who, uh, who was an assistant coach at Texas, now I think he's the head coach at UNC Asheville. He makes a couple free throws for us. Um, and, and then ultimately they come down and make a three, and then I inbound the ball, and I think whoever it was missed the front end. So, you know, the game's kind of still in flux here, and I am guarding the other team's best player, uh, who happens to be a post player, uh, he comes down and, you know, he's a post player, so I'm not really hugging up on him on this screen. Uh, and, and I'm kind of hedging uh, to, to try to help the shooter so that he doesn't get a clean look. Well, the ball comes to him and he ends up shooting the ball and he makes a three. And then I'm taking the ball out again. I throw it over to Harris. Harris has, a you know, it's it's deflected by the defender, hits off his hand. And so it's their ball again. Mm. So it's like, man, like this couldn't be going worse for me. And and I don't do this. Like this isn't who I am. This isn't what I do. Smart IQ mate does not make these kinds of mental mistakes. As as they say, things are moving quickly for me at this point. Um, And and so they throw the ball into the post player again. And for whatever reason, I don't know if I'm mad at myself or what, I foul him and he makes the layup. He goes to the line and – makes the free throw. Uh, then kind of the same situation where I end up getting the ball and I get fouled again and I miss the front end. Uh, and lo and behold, they come down and they tie the game up. Mm. And so like I'm sitting there really upset and uh, eventually the, the game, well, fast forward, uh, the game goes to overtime and Ferg actually dribbles, you know, clock is running down three, two, one. I end up making the the layup to win the game <laughs> which i feel like and that was kind of my only game winning shot in yeah. college um i end up running up the bleachers <laughs> and, and we have like this giant mock pit like it was it was crazy it was a lot of fun um and then coach yells at us all in the locker room mainly for me and we have to run this was a friday game we get like we get back at you know three o'clock in the morning because we take buses oh, um and we had to we had to get back up and and go run in like 7 a.m in the morning 
because I was celebrating <laughs> running up the bleachers. Like I didn't have any class, like act like you've been there before. Like, Come on, crazy. teacher. Um, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like that was like karma or, or that kind of paid off me making so many stupid decisions or, and doing so many oh, bad man. things. So um, that is the one, that's the one game that I really remember from college. And I did, I don't feel like I went to college that long ago. I remember some snippets from some other games, but that's the one that I really remember. Not so much that I made uh, the game winning shot, but because I, I basically screwed up and, and almost lost the game for our team, which was not my MO in college. Yeah. I'm surprised you were still in the game in yeah. time after uh, the end great of Great point. The only reason I was is because we had one guy that got hurt and two guys that fouled out. <laughs> I, should have, I should have added. I don't think – like my coach couldn't start a lineup. I couldn't throw a lineup out there of like 6-2 and under. Co- so Coach Wally he, didn't just put out four like uh, like Hoosiers out there, right? No. Yeah, my team was on the floor. Mm. Yeah, no. He probably wanted to after some of the things I was doing. Um, but he didn't have the option because I think oh uh, Todd and Craig are both fouled out and then Trent got hurt. So um, didn't have a choice <laughs> playing through some growing pains. Gotcha. But in the end, I, I delivered and then made sure their fan section knew about it as I ran right up in the middle of the boosters. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so glad. I'm man, so glad. So you ran up bleachers. I'm just so glad that a Louis who stays and shank into the water led to that story because that was <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, uh, well, we got we got a new tournament coming up this week. Uh, I know you guys. I I don't. I, I would assume you guys are excited about watching. I'm excited about watching, uh, knowing that we're going to be playing there in a couple months. Um, but uh, I would like to uh, go ahead and go through some of our picks. Uh, so this is the Valspar Championship played at the Copperhead Course at Innisbrook um, in Tampa Bay, or I guess in Tampa, Florida. I don't know if it's Tampa Bay, but it's Tampa, Florida. And uh, so uh, pretty pretty cool field. Uh, got um, Dustin Johnson, JT, uh, Patrick Reed uh, all in the field. Terrell, Terrell Hatton was the third player uh, who's ranked currently in the top ten in the world, or the fourth player currently ranked in the top ten in the world. Uh, that was in the event, but he actually got um, had to withdraw due to a positive COVID test, so he's no longer um, in the field. So, uh, but a pretty cool, um, pretty cool field. Uh, Paul Casey is two-time defending champion, so he went back to back in eighteen and nineteen. Obviously, didn't play last year because of COVID. Um, so this will be his, I guess, back-to-back title defense. Um, even though it's been two years since he's won there. Uh, so, uh, who are you guys looking at to play well this weekend and, uh, possibly come away with a victory? So I've heard one of the things that I'm interested to see is, uh, you know, they, they say this is, uh, somewhat similar to Harbor town, maybe to the extent that, you know, not that distance doesn't always pay off, but you don't necessarily need distance to be successful here. Tighter fairways, maybe, a um, a higher premium on ball striking, mm-hmm. which is why I think why Paul Casey has had some success there. I know Spieth has won there in the past as well. Um, and along those lines, a guy that I, I really like and, and also think that he's, he's due this year. Uh, and that's Sunjay mm. M. I like, I like him this week. That's yeah. who I ended up picking in the, uh, in my work pool. 
there were some shenanigans around the draft um, <laughs> where I was higher up on the list and then somebody needed to do a redraft <laughs> and then I became dead last on the list. So, uh, but I, I was still pretty happy that I got Sanjay in because I, I probably would have picked him if I had, you know, third, fourth, fifth pick. Yeah. So I just don't think, and, and it'd be interesting to know what you guys think, but I, not to say that DJ or, you know, Patrick Reed's probably always going to show up and be a competitive, um, you know, you right. know what, uh, but I don't think JT or, or Dustin are necessarily showing up and, and looking to really grind to get a win or a high finish. Right. Yeah. At this type of right. event. And so yeah, I'm always leery to, to pick a really highly ranked guy uh, because you just wonder how much effort, not that they're not going to play bad golf, but are they really going to put in the effort that, that kind of one of the, maybe the, the mid-class guys on tour could think this is their week. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, go ahead, Bob. Oh, no, go ahead, Derek. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think I, I'm kind of with you on that whole, like, picking a, a top-name guy. Um, I think this is what, like, Tiger kind of ruined this for us, where we kind of expect the guys at the top to win all the time. But I think Tiger was just so different, and I think Rory alluded to that in his Masters press conference of where, like, you know, like, Tiger didn't even care about these events, and he could still win them. Um, I, I I don't doesn't even know where those yeah, trophies I don't, are. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that. I don't That's think right. that that necessarily is the case for Justin Thomas and Dustin uh, Dustin Johnson. But um, so so I'm, I'm not going to go with either one of them. Um, but I do. I do think I am going to go with Patrick Reed. I think I'm not a huge Patrick Reed fan, but this just seems like kind of the golf tournament. Like it's it's a golf tournament that you know oftentimes uh, does lend itself to better ball strikers. Uh, which I think he's a very good ball striker, but he's also uh, he's been second in strokes gained putting, and he's had two co runner up finishes at this golf course, one in twenty fifteen and one in twenty eighteen. Um, so I I think I think he's he's rested, he's ready to go. I think he plays well this week, and I'm going to pick him as my winner, Patrick Reed. Uh, is the, is the so win. speaking speaking of Patrick Reed, and I know we talked about mm-hmm. Bubba a little right. bit earlier. Uh, being a good guy on tour. I think, Derek, I might have sent you this. Um, During the match play, it was reported, because I think in one of the knockout rounds, Bubba and Patrick Reed played each other. And Patrick Reed walks up to him on the first Uh team and says, hey, Bubba, I hope we can be friends after this match, man. Like, just kind of, you know, maybe joking a little bit with him. And and apparently Bubba with a stone face looks back at him and says, would you consider us friends now? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know we were friends. Yeah, yeah, I didn't right. know we were something friends. Like that. Yeah. I, did, I didn't know we were friends now. Something like that, which I think is hilarious to say to right. Patrick Reed, yeah. um, because I'm pretty sure he doesn't have any friends on tour other than Justine and the Burner uh, Twitter accounts right. that they maintain. Right. And Justine's brother. Um, yeah. That's exactly yeah, the, the caddy. caddy. Yeah, that's right. So I, I think that's really yeah. funny. But I am going to go with him. I think he's. You know, I think he's in. I think he's got a good chance to win. And I think you guys are right. Sunjay and and Reed I, were, were actually my two top. Also, I think they're, um, they're they play different games. And it's funny because you're right, Nate. That a ball this is a ball strikers course, and Sunjay M is a great ball striker. Um, so it, it sets up well for him. Patrick Reed isn't the best ball striker, but he, uh, he he's one of the best putters on tour, and that covers up a lot of uh, a lot of different pieces. And he seems to know the course, uh, like Derek, like you said. Runner up a couple of different times. He, 
uh, hasn't played since the Masters, so he's he's probably well rested. Uh, besides those two, uh, I, I'd go with Corey Connors. Just he's again going at the ball striking. Uh, he last time he played this course was out in 2018, and he had the lead after three rounds, I think, and then fell apart on Sunday. Um, and he's been playing well lately, so he's got pretty good form. So I, I think he's a pretty good pick, but. Uh, I think Reed and Sanjay are also good picks there too. Yeah, no, I think I think Corey Connors definitely, man. Like he's he's played so well this year, and and definitely has the kind of game to uh, to do uh, something great um, at this golf course. Um, I know on a short list of other people that I'm looking at would be like Abraham Answer. Obviously, has been yeah, in good Abe form, answer, but for sure. yeah, Honest Abe going with with Honest Abe. I think I think uh, I would love to see him win. I think he's a He's a great character for the game of golf. Um, I think he could be a great ambassador for the game of golf worldwide, as well as, you know, just an intriguing uh, person to to keep an eye on. Kind of like a Cam Smith, you know, uh, type type guy, uh, kind of fun, um, you know, on and off the golf course kind of guy. So anyway, that's that's somebody I'd keep an eye on as well. But uh, all right, guys. Well, um, so you heard it uh, here. So uh, Bob is going to go with Corey Connors. I have Patrick Reed and Nate has Sunjay M. Uh, so those are our three picks. So we'll see how we fare going into this weekend. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed the pod this week. Uh, enjoyed all the stories of, uh, of baseball and basketball and um, duck hooks into uh, pawns on the final hole to try and win a match against your pastor. Uh, whatever it is, uh, we're bringing it to you on the Front Nine Podcast. So thanks for tuning in and listening. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and uh, and check out next week next next week's episode uh, as we uh, as we look ahead um, to uh, to more great things to come in the world of golf. So uh, until we talk again, y'all have a great week and uh, enjoy the golf this weekend. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys.